You're listening to Backstage at Lyric, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes at Lyric Opera of Chicago. Backstage at Lyric features in-depth interviews with singers, conductors, and creative talents at one of the world's great opera companies. For additional podcast interviews, subscribe to our RSS feed or visit us online at lyricopera.org. Soprano Andriana Chuchman and tenor Stephen Costello are backstage at Lyric. It's a wonderful story, but it's not just one story. There's several stories overlapping each other in the in the opera. You have um, the relationships between Valenciennes and Camille, and the relationship, which is the main story, between Hannah and Danilo. Plus, you have the relationship between Zeta and and Yegush, which is kind of a, a side, you know, uh, almost like a boss assistant relationship. And then you have the relationship between um, Zeta and Valenciennes. So, I mean, there's there's so many different character relationships that, that I mean it's, it's a great story it's almost like a soap opera there's so many different agendas everybody everybody's out for something different and that's what makes it so exciting is we're, we're all not working towards the same thing we're all we all have our own sort of focuses and and little subplots thank you for downloading this episode of backstage at lyric I'm Roger Pines of lyric opera of Chicago Canadian soprano Andriana Chuchman is singing the role of Valenciennes opposite American tenor Stephen Costello in his lyric opera debut as Camille de Rossillon in the company's new production of Lehar's The Merry Widow. These two are among today's most excitingly gifted young artists, and I recently sat down with both of them to talk about their roles in The Merry Widow and the challenges of their careers. Before we get to the interview, here's a brief synopsis of The Merry Widow. At a party at the Petrovinian Embassy in Paris, Camille de Rossillon confesses his love to Valenciennes, the ambassador's young wife. A guest arrives, Hannah Glavari, the widow whose wealth represents much of Petrovinia's net worth. The ambassador, Baron Zeta, is desperate for Hannah to marry a Petrovinian in order to keep that wealth in the country. To discourage Camille's advances, Valenciennes suggests he marry Hannah. The embassy attaché, Count Danilo, once loved Hannah, but she was then penniless, and his aristocratic family considered her unacceptable. Now that Hannah is rich, Danilo refuses to join other men who desire her only for her money. During a party at Hannah's, amorous intrigues abound, the final result being that Hannah announces her engagement to Camille. Danilo bitterly retreats to his favorite Paris hangout, Maxime's. Hannah hosts a party there where Danilo demands she not marry Camille for the sake of her country. She and Danilo finally confess their love. Hannah's husband's will stipulates that if she remarries, her wealth would revert to the state. Despite her impoverished future, Danilo is overjoyed to marry her as Zeta and Valenciennes are reconciled. Now, on to the interview with soprano Andriana Chuchman and tenor Stephen Costello. I hope you enjoy it. The Merry Widow is so popular all over the world. It has been for more than a century. What do you think is the biggest factor that contributes to this worldwide popularity of the piece? Um, I think it's, well, the music is fantastic. I mean, it's the closest thing I think we have besides Gilbert and Sullivan Operetta that um, relates, I think, opera to musical theater. That's almost like a bridge between opera and musical theater. And when you do it in the United States, it's in English. Or if, if you do it in other countries, it's usually done in that language of that country. So I think it's an opera that the audience can relate to without having to read the subtitles and can just actually sit there, sit back, and enjoy the show. Andriana, when were you first aware of 
the music of the Merry Widow? Was it something you grew up listening to, or did you only just discover it? I mean, I've, I guess through university, I heard snippets of operetta and and um, and music of the of the like, and I, that was sort of when I got introduced to it. I I fully heard Merry Widow when I started learning learning the piece and. So. You know, we all talk about the music and how wonderful it is, but I think it's also a wonderful story. Do you agree? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's, it's a wonderful story, but in, it's not just one story. There's several stories overlapping each other in the, in the opera. You have um, the relationships between Valenciennes and Camille and the relationship, which is the main story, between Hannah and Danilo. Plus you have the relationship between Zeta and, and Yegush, which is kind of a, a side you know, uh, almost like a boss-assistant relationship. And then you have the relationship between um, Zeta and Valenciennes. So, there, I mean, there's there's so many different character relationships that, that I mean, it's, it's a great story. It's almost like a soap opera. And there's so many different agendas. Everybody Everybody's out for something different, and that's what makes it so exciting is we're, not, we're all not working towards the, the same thing. We're all, we all have our own <laughs> sort of focuses and, and little subplots, so it's... Well, what is this relationship between Valenciennes and Camille actually like? I mean, we see them in these three different duets, all of which are very different. So what is going on between them? Well, it's very secretive. Nobody yeah. knows about us because Valenciennes married to Baron Zeta. Yeah, she's, she being a, a married woman, I, you know, I'm kind of taking that, I guess, characteristic French approach, as you would, with, with the way they, you know, a French male would court a woman, but, he, you know, this time she's married, and he doesn't seem to care about that. And I think his, we were talking about it in rehearsal, the entire, I think, excitement for him is, is not, is getting caught. At any minute now, he could get caught by, by Zeta. And I think, I think that really in, in, Entices him to want to, you know, keep pursuing her, and it's 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 a big challenge. It's a challenge for Camille. He's a young man. She's a young woman. She's married to an older man. So I think he he feels that he has the edge. So he just wants to keep pushing it and pushing it to the limit and see if he can break her. Well, Adriana, do you think Valenciennes would be happy if she and Camille actually went off together the way they talk about doing? Well, in that time, I mean. Valenciennes, I think she married Baron Zeta for money and to be well taken care of. And I think Camille is someone of interest to her. And I, I'm not sure if she would be necessarily happy without that other aspect of, say, money. I don't know. what is Camille wealthy or is he... You know, I, I mean, he's... he's um... I believe so. I believe he comes from money or he's some kind of... I mean, some kind of um, it's hard to know. Wealth... Like, he is de Rossillon, uh, right, isn't he? Right, yes. Right. I mean, he, yeah. he has a title. I mean, he's, yeah. he's so. I mean, and actually, in some operas, they refer to him as, as Count de Rossillon. So I think I oh, okay. think he has. I think he does have a title. I mean, he he. So I believe he does come from wealth. You have these three duets together. What is going on in each of these? There, you talked about agendas. Is there a separate agenda in each one? No, I think I think there is an agenda in all of them, the same agenda. I mean, but it's it's every you can tell by the music it's either I mean in the beginning it's um it introduces the two characters, the first duet introduces them both. And through the music and through the text, you realize that he's really preying on her and she is kind of standoffish because of her husband. And then when you get to the second duet, it's a little more playful and they and they kind of both fantasize about, you know, what they could be together, what their life could be together. And then by the third duet, she's saying, no, 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 I can't do this. It's my husband. And he then 
lays on while he just becomes honest with her and and because it's his last it's his last chance you know this is this is you know this is the I'm gonna get her this this time or it's not gonna happen at all and I think that time I think that really gets her to to say yes to him are they very different musically I would say so yes um, I would there's there's an a definite underlying sensuality in all three it's very interesting because you can see the you know the sort of playful love between them and um but the music is different in all in all and three it's, it's actually sometimes in in other productions the duet the, the second duet that we both sing in act one is, is sometimes switched from camille and valenciennes to um to Hannah Donnie Donnie Donnie, right yeah um, and also that second duet, um, which is usually titled in English The Magic of Domesticity when they're talking about setting up housekeeping mm-hmm. together, um, it's often cut completely. Yeah, because, I mean, it, it's we've been working on it a lot in rehearsal, and sometimes, I mean, giving the wrong setup, it might not work. It might just seem out of character for both of them. But, it's I mean, charming. It, it works in this production. It's charming. charming. It's a it's breath of fresh air, and it's, mm-hmm. it's just it's one of the quicker pieces in the whole mm-hmm. show, and it's just... Yeah, Stephen, and your your role is generally done in any production by somebody who would sing roles like Faust and Romeo, you know, classic romantic lyric tenor. But, Adriana, your role has gone all sorts of ways. What voice is your role meant for, do you think? <laughs> uh... <laughs> Operatic slash musical theater belter. <laughs> it's amazing. It's uh, she she has beautiful. You know, the first duet with Camille is really beautiful and melodic, and um, and it sort of progresses into. She has a little bit less, you know, beautiful higher higher singing. To by the time she gets to Act Three with the Grisettes, it's full on, almost belting. I mean, it's still pretty and it's still you know, but it's quite lower than I'm used to singing as I'm I'm soprano and and this is. You know, sits very low, but you have to be a soprano with a good middle, and so. I think, I think the roles in this, the major roles mm-hmm. in this piece, are underestimated in terms of what they actually require of the performer. Do you agree with that? I'm not 100% sure what you're asking. Well, I thought, okay, they've got to sing beautifully, they've got to have great comic timing, they have to look great. Uh, they have to dance. That's now, right. I wouldn't want to ask you about that. Are you dancing in this? I am full blown <laughs> dancing with the with the other professional dancers. So it's that's a challenge because you become one at the end. You become a grisette. Yeah, that's right. Um, so there is Valenciennes in Act Three with the dancing girls doing a number. That's right. She's just kind of showing another side of her, and. For kicks. But the two of you don't actually dance together. We, in the second duet, we do a little, a little like one step together, which and, and, a, and a twirl here and there. But my not. theory is that her mother was a grisette, and she watched the grisettes dance all her life, and she's like, "Yes, here's my chance to dance." Yeah, <laughs> with the real grisettes. So, have you two done any sort of dancing on stage in your careers at all? Um, a little bit here and there, definitely not this vigorous. Like it's the grisette scene is quite. Athletic and you know splits, kicks, high kicks. You know. Are you turns, doing a can can as well? Can can. Uh, yeah, it's and then towards the end of our scene, the entire platform that's slightly raked 
might I mention, <laughs> starts moving um, into a different position. So we're dancing on it while this entire platform is moving. So it just, that adds to the challenge as well, but yeah. I mean, thinking about operetta and what's required, is rehearsing an operetta any different from rehearsing an opera production? No, I don't think so. I think, because um, I think, the, I mean, no matter what the music is, you still have to sing it, and you still have to, you, you don't change your voice to sing operetta, or, or you don't, you know, just like you wouldn't make your voice bigger to sing opera. I mean, it, you, I think it, it can still be as taxing as rehearsing an opera, and I think and the rehearsal process can be still as intense, if not more intense, because, I mean, a lot of the times you're, you're working in a language that's not your first language. And with this, be English being our first language, I think they, you're expected to do more. I think the director, the director really wants to get more out of you because you should be able to, your reaction time should be a lot much much more much faster right and the dialogue is the dialogue is yeah is, 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 is different too I mean unless you're doing like say magic flute or, or something something of that style you, you rarely get dialogue you have recitative and this and, is comedy so it has to be quick and you know yeah. snappy and, and as like unlike I mean magic flute is more serious and so you have to be yeah and I don't know about I don't know about Andriana but for me you know I know how my voice feels singing and I you, doing as many performances you become secure with it but when you have to do dialogue for the first time you kind of want to speak lower because you're really not sure how your voice sounds speaking wise to the public so it's kind of it's 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 a new experience you're working with a director that chicago theater goers know very well gary griffin what do you most enjoy about this process of working with gary given his particular background that you wouldn't necessarily get with somebody who directs opera exclusively I guess at first it's intimidating, you know, because he works with great actors that are do mostly theater or musical theater, so they're used to this kind of this kind of dialogue situation and and being on stage in in, in an acting from an acting standpoint. So it's kind of intimidating, but he really just I mean, in the beginning he just kind of lets you go and and find your own and then and then he just takes it and refines it and molds it and I mean it, it's great. And he, you never feel you never, you, I mean, you never like feel into right, but you also never feel like he's um, self-conscious of anything because he just he really like lets you lets you go and lets you lets you really feel good about what you're doing. I and mean, his it's attention great. to detail is is refreshing <laughs> and and like Stephen said, he doesn't lock you into anything or he doesn't. You don't come there and he stages it and you're done and you just keep on rehearsing, rehearsing, rehearsing the same thing over again. He builds it. He takes ideas from you. He brings his own ideas in. And almost every rehearsal there's a new idea and it's just better and more exciting. And it's just like, and you wonder, how, how could this be better? This is, this is an amazing idea, you know, that, that Gary will suggest. And then the next day we'll build on that. And it's like, wow, it just gets, you know, more exciting and better. And How is he staging your particular scenes? Isn't he sort of separating the two of you in, so that you could have your sort of private moment alone in Act One. He was talking to me um, several weeks ago about sort of separating the public from the private scenes. I think, I mean, there's definitely interactions. The way Camille and Valencia want to act um, in front of, I guess, the rest of the cast members. I mean, not, uh, how would I say it? I mean, when they're on stage together by the themselves in their solo duets, they're definitely more more touching, more um, flirtatious, as opposed to when um, we're on, you know, Val and Santa Camilla are there with Hannah and Donnie Lowen and, and Zeta. They're very more reserved and more private. 
but they also still kind of keep that tension between them that that something's going on and any minute now somebody could notice me giving her a look or or her giving me a look or, or some kind of like flirtation that is going on while somebody's back is turned yeah. so it makes it makes it still dangerous but Valenciennes has to you know she's a smart girl she has to know when to pull out the sweet innocent Valenciennes and she knows when to be herself when she can be herself and that's usually with Camille and she's sort of this put on sweet innocent girl with Baron Zeta and it's well, she's also an ambassador's wife, so there's exactly. a certain amount of dignity that she has yeah. to comport herself with, isn't there? We've uh, thrown around the term trophy wife. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's exactly what I was thinking, <laughs> yes. actually. Um, now, we should say a bit about what the show actually looks like. First of all, well, Camille probably has sort of standard, elegant, what, evening dress, I um, suppose. Um, yeah, and Mary did a, a fantastic job designing these costumes. I mean, the, my first act is a standard um, tails right. suit, and it's, it's gorgeous. I mean, I... For instance, I just did a, a concert this past weekend, and I had a fitting right before, and I said, would you mind if I could take this with me? Because this is one of the, the greatest tail suits I've ever had on. I mean, it's beautiful. The material's great. It fits perfectly. And then the second act, I'm in, I'm in a, like a frock suit, which is, which I mean, it moves. I mean, it moves with your body. I mean, it's, it's really, really a glamorous production, and the, the costumes are so such in like an old style and, and so elegant and beautiful. I think, you know, I think the audience is going to react to them and really, really love them. What is Valenciennes wearing? Oh, my gosh. She, okay, she has three different costumes for each act. The first act is this gorgeous raw, like, you know, raw silk, kind of a, a pinky peach, uh, antique more color of pink peach, and it's just this gorgeous silhouette, you know, in at the waist, and, and I, I, I feel like I'm two sizes smaller than I am, and it's just, it's just a beautiful beautiful costume and in the second act it's you know another beautiful purple bright color and and in the last act of course she's a grisette, grisette so it's this corset you know with a, a roughly skirt and these you know it's just the costumes are gorgeous and I think that sort of attributes uh, with the the sets being a little simpler in terms of you know you don't want Gary didn't want too much going on he wanted to really you know make the the costumes pop Against a beautiful set, and the sets are gorgeous too, aren't they? From what we've seen, yeah, we haven't, you know, we haven't really worked on the sets with the lighting. And I know in Act Two, the lighting design has a lot to do with how the set um, comes forward to the audience. Because uh, from what I understand, there's a whole moon scene in the back, and the moon gradually gets bigger and bigger as the act goes on. And we haven't done that yet, so we haven't seen it. But you know, we've seen pictures of it from their text, and I mean, it looks, it looks really really great do you think this experience of the merry widow is going to inspire you to consider more operettas in the future because for the kinds of voices that you both have the amount of repertoire that's there for you in operetta is sort of limitless i would think um yeah you know i love this is the second time for me doing the merry widow and i love it i love being in operetta and it's just as hard to find, you know. You don't. It's it's rare that opera houses do it. I think the Mary Widow, and I mean like Flater Mouse, I guess would be considered kind of operetta. Um, but yeah, for me, I love it. I mean, um, Nikolai Geta did a lot of it. I mean, a lot of famous tenors that have sung, you know, endless amounts of repertoires have always gone back to operetta. It's 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 really really great. Andre, you too? Oh, very much so. I think it's wonderful music, and it's it's just w- music that makes you want to get up and dance. It's it's very special in that sense. I mean, there's a wide span of beautiful opera, and this is just another another division. It's another, you know. You are both at the stage of career where uh, competitions and awards take on 
major importance. I know that, Stephen, you uh, just won the Richard Tucker Award, and I know you just sang at the Tucker Foundation Gala a few nights ago. Um, what was that like? Oh, it was fantastic. I mean, it was it was it was kind of for me. I mean, winning the Tucker Award is I mean it was a great a great honor, and it's um, also can carry a lot of pressure. I mean, because everyone expects you to be perfect all the time. Now that you've won this major award that so many other great artists have won, and um, for me it was fantastic. You know, working on stage with you know, Anna Trepko, Sam Raimi. Um, James Morris, Stephanie Blythe, Hicking Hong. I mean, all these great, great singers. I mean, it was it was it was a great feeling, and I, I mean, I, I I loved it. It was a great concert. Um, Andriana, you were recently in Germany to compete in the Neue Stimmen competition, which is one of the most important competitions in Europe, and you were in the finals, having competed against what twelve hundred something like that. Yeah, I think they they auditioned all over the world, I think 1,200 singers, and then they narrowed it down to, I think, 40 or 41 that came to Germany. And um, and then from that round, they took it down to, I think, 12 to the semis, and then seven of us in the finals. So. And w- I hope that was a wonderful experience, too. Yeah, it was wonderful to be one of the prize winners, and, and it came at a very good time because um, it just sort of, I knew this, the, the, this Mary Widow was coming up, and I thought, well, there's that opening there. And it was sort of the first time I've ever been, I've ever really sung in Europe. And I think that sort of introduced me to a lot of important people because the panel of judges is, is you know, a wonderful group of, of 10 individuals. And, and it just, it was a wonderful introduction into Europe, and it gave me a lot of, you know, excitement to come back and do this, this role and, and brought a lot of contacts. And, you are a, a third-year member of the Ryan Opera Center program here at Lyric. Yes. And, Stephen, I don't know if you went through a number of different young artist programs. I, I No, I actually I didn't, I didn't do a young artist program. I went to um, the Academy of Local Arts, which is like a graduate school. In Philadelphia. Yeah, and then I graduated there, and then next year I think I made my Met debut. But I, I kind of bypassed young artist programs. I think they're great. I really do. I think they're fantastic. But with ABA, I didn't. You know, they gave you exactly what a young artist program would. So, Andriana, what do you think you'll take away <clears throat> from these years that you've had at Lyric that will that you think will stand you in particularly good stead when you're out in the field, as it were? Wow, I could write a book on that. <laughs> How much I, I learned. I mean, to be learning and to be attached to to a, one of the best opera companies in North America is that in itself is is a learning experience and to work with the coaches that we get to work with the conductors and um and and colleagues i mean these are the best singers in the world and the best conductors and the best one of the best orchestras and so it's just a, a super high level of training and i consider it almost you know it's it is training but it's it's a professional opportunity where we're young professionals and we are we are working we're working hard and you know and it really gives us a taste of what we're, you know, up against when we leave here. And it's sort of the last thing you do before you have a career, hopefully. And um, and and it also, you know, we get to sing for agents and we get to sing for other companies. And so it it teaches you what this this career is going to entail. And it also, you know, we have a vast, you know, a vast. We have an abundance of of source resources here. You know, whether it's you know, looking at things from the past or, or archives and, and 
listening to music and and many people we can ask questions to such as yourself <laughs> you know uh, and um it's just i could keep on going i could you know <laughs> it's just it's a wonderful place for that last last phase of training and i mean we're always learning for the rest of our lives but this is sort of a great place to do it. I wanted to ask both of you if you have anything that you would consider a peak performance experience to date where you said this is why I got into professional singing in the first place. Um, a peak is a hard word because you never really want a peak. I mean that's I mean you you never really want to say oh this is the greatest performance I've ever had I want to sing like this every day because it's not true. I think every time you come off stage you say oh it was a good performance but I can do better. I can do better than this. I can do better than that. But I think for me just going on and, and having the audience in front of you and then hearing the response from the audience, I think that's, that's one of the main reasons that you, that you wake up and you, and you want to do this every day. And plus, I mean, getting to work with such wonderful, wonderful artists and conductors and musicians and orchestra. And, and, I mean, just to have that kind of experience, not many people will ever get to do. I mean, it's such a small, small community the opera world is. And, I mean... It's, it's an amazing experience, plus to wake up every morning and love your job. I mean, how many people can say that? I mean, it's, it's great. It's really, I mean, that's the reason to do it. Are you looking for a specific performance? If you'd Are like. You looking? <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, we're both young, younger singers, and I think, for, at least for me, every year it's been something bigger and better, in a sense. So, you know, in my first year, yeah, okay, I covered the, these roles, and I did this tiny role in this, and then the, the year after, I, I, I sang a, a lot. I actually had my stage debut, and then this year, it's you know this wonderful role of Valenciennes, and so it just seems to be a progression of of opportunities and and things like that. So I think I think this will be a, a really special moment for me uh, in my last three years in, at the Lyric. In these still young careers, what are the ambitions for the future? Do they have to do with repertoire? Do they have to do with working with particular people or singing in particular places? Um, you know, I don't know. A lot for me is, is I mean, a lot of the places that I've really wanted to sing, I've just either sang in or I'm going to sing in the, in the next couple of years. And I think just to keep having more great experiences, you know, there, there's, of course, many great conductors and great orchestras that I would love to work with and, and many great houses. You know, it's just taking it one day by day. I mean, while I'm in Chicago, I'm not one of those people that really likes to, except for this past weekend, it really likes to leave where I'm working. I know some people can go in between performances and go to a performance somewhere else, come back, and then do another performance. I don't like to do that because I, I like to give all my time to the house that I'm, I'm in. You know, I think it... it makes for a better performance and and once I'm in that role I just I just like to be in it completely and then when I leave there I'll worry about the next project you know it's it's you know we're we're, we're you know hired to do a job and and that's that's exactly what I'm here to do so I don't want to yeah I don't yeah I'd rather not be anywhere else right now than Chicago it's great I just want to keep on getting better as a singer and and keep on honing this this craft of, of operatic singing, which in, encompasses singing and acting and dancing sometimes. And, and yeah, working in, I mean, this, it's hard when you sing at the Lyric and then you, you go to other companies and you're like, what, you get used to a certain, you know, level and, and a, a, a certain, you know, and not all companies are wonderful, but there's, you know, certain aspects of the Lyric that makes it special. And so... I think I think working in 
in the best houses with the best singers, with the best conductors and orchestras, and and um, and hopefully reaching out to an audience is is always the important thing. So that's it's not, not nothing specific. Just you know, keep on keep on going. Well, I want to wish you the best of luck and have a wonderful time with all of these performances of the Mary Widow. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you, Roger. You've been listening to Backstage at Lyric, the podcast that takes you behind the curtain at Lyric Opera of Chicago. For additional interactive content and to order tickets, visit us online at lyricopera.org. <laughs>